Jesus said this to a woman that he met at a well in, um, in John chapter 4, verse 24. Jesus said, God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And in doing so, what he's saying is, among other things, is that there's no way you can actually relate to God in a meaningful way except by the Holy Spirit. That without the Spirit's help, any attempt to connect with God ends up really in either just speculative ideas or conjecture or kind of groping around hoping for the best or, or dead form, ritualistic form of saying prayers but not actually connecting with God. When Jesus said God is Spirit... And to be able to really worship him, you must worship in spirit and in truth. Part of what he was saying is you desperately need the Holy Spirit if you're going to even begin to know how to relate personally and in a true and authentic way with God. The thing is, though, is that worship is more than just singing songs and praying to God. Actually, worship is about our whole life, which is why in another letter in the Bible, uh, a man called John says is that if anyone says they love God but they don't love their brother then really they haven't understood it. Because John says, how can you say you love God whom you haven't seen, but yet you don't even love your brother whom you have seen? You're, you're, you're in deception. You, you don't understand. You're saying things that kind of sound really good and really spiritual, but really, practically, there's, there's someone right before you with a need, and you're not even willing to meet that. And so worship isn't just about our direct relating to God, singing, praying, etc. It spills out onto everything, particularly how we relate to one another. It's a massive part of our worship. It's, it, it's not okay to kind of um, act like Mr. or Mrs. Spiritual and always praying and always singing songs and always saying hallelujah, but your relationships are just shot to bits. Or your relationships are non-existent. Or your relationships are superficial. Or your relationships are just one way. Or your relationships are filled with strife, envy and other things. You see, and part of what the Spirit does when, when He comes into our life, when He fills us and goes to work into us on the inside, is that absolutely He teaches us how to relate directly to God and know God, but also He goes to work big time in terms of uh, helping us relate with one another, helping us f- forge, form, and strengthen amazing relationships with one another. So we don't just get by, we don't just get on, but we really learn how to love and be loved. We really don't know how to give ourselves to one another, to be committed to one another. This is scary stuff for a lot of people. I recognise that. So we're going to look at that today as part of other things that we look at. But I want to start by saying that if a church or a Christian are not filled with the Spirit in an ongoing way, then the result will be isolation, or it will be superficiality, or it will be kind of selfish. That's tend to, that tends to be what happens. We tend to go in on ourselves without the Holy Spirit's help. Now what we're doing is we're working through a, book in the, uh, well, a short passage in the Bible in the book of Acts, chapter 2. And just to give you a bit of context and background so you know uh, what's going on here is that this is the story of the early church shortly after Jesus ascended back to be with the Father. So really it's the story of Jesus' uh, absence physically but he's pouring out of his Holy Spirit on the church so that the church learned how to be church without Jesus being here physically, but with the Holy Spirit indwelling each one of them. That's really, the, that's really what Acts chapter 2 is about. 
And um, at the beginning of the chapter, we see this incredible outpouring of the Spirit where the church are gathered to pray, about 120 of them. Um, they love Jesus, they believe in him, but they don't really know much else. The Holy Spirit falls on them in power, and they really like, become different people. In a sense, they become empowered, they become bold, and all these incredible things. And so we're looking at um, some of the results of being filled with the Holy Spirit because we believe as a church that God wants to fill us with his Spirit and that the results will be the same. Because if we're being filled with the same spirit as the early church, then the results must be the same. Otherwise, how do we know it's the same spirit? The results have got to be the same. So we're going to go from verse 42 of chapter 2, which explains the result of them being filled with the Holy Spirit. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, which Richard spoke about last week, and fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And awe came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favour with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you that it was inspired by you. Thank you, you breathed out the scriptures. We believe that you inspired men as they wrote, and, but it comes from you. We thank you, Lord, that they speak right into our situation and yet are filled with timeless truth. And Father, I just I pray and ask you now that as we gather around your word and look to unpack it, that you would do incredible things in our heart. I pray that you would fill me with your Holy Spirit, that I can preach filled with the Spirit. I pray, Lord, that you would give the guys here ears to hear what you are saying. I even pray for those, Lord, who aren't even sure quite what they believe or whether they even believe you are real. I want to dare to ask God that even as I speak, in your grace and your love and your mercy, you would, I pray you would peel back little veils that have hidden things from people. I pray, Lord, you would unstop deaf ears. I pray you would bring hearts of flesh, Lord, where there's hearts of stone. I just commit this room of people to you and say, Lord, would you do wonderful things here with us out of your transforming love? We pray it for Jesus' sake, his fame and his glory and for our good. Amen. Amen. Okay, so we just read um, the result of the Spirit created a devoted people. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. Like I said, Richard preached on that last week. And then it says they were devoted to fellowship, which Simon's going to look at next week. And it says they were devoted to the breaking of bread, which we were going to look at this week. The Holy Spirit came on the church, and as a result, they were devoted to the breaking of bread. Now, it's actually quite hard to know what is meant by that. The reason being that in the Bible... Two things are referred to as the breaking of bread. Two different things. One is, it just, it's a phrase that's used for just eating together. So, for example, if I said to you today, hey, come around my house for some dinner. If I was to say that biblically, I would say, come around, come around to my house, we're going to break bread. Okay, now I don't say that because it's just a bit weird to start talking like that, isn't it? And you think, man, this guy's scary, I'm not going around his house. Okay, but that, that, that's a biblical way of saying, come around for dinner. Okay, that's, that's the way the phrase is used frequently throughout the Bible. By the same token, the phrase breaking of bread is referred to uh, um, when Christians take the bread, break it, and then drink the wine to remember Jesus' body broken for them and to remember his blood shed for them. What you might know as communion, what you might know as the Eucharist, what you might know as the Lord's Supper. The Bible refers... To, to both things was breaking of bread. So in one sense, what does it actually mean? Well, no one really knows. So I want to talk about both. 
and the spiritual significance of both. And as a result, this sermon's going to be twice the length as normal. <laughs> Joke. Okay. No, it won't be. Okay, so a uh, sort of nervous laugh fills the room. Okay, so um, let's look at the first thing. Let's imagine for a moment that it's saying that they were devoted as a result of being filled with the Spirit. They were devoted to eating together. Do you like the sound of that? Yeah. The, being filled with the Spirit leads to eating loads of food with other believers. That's pretty cool, isn't it? Okay, so it's, it's a positive thing. Um, but it's actually really, really significant. And here's why. In the Eastern culture... You would only sit down and eat food with someone if you were in good relationship with them. If you had fallen out with someone, or there was just a bad a bit of bad blood or bad relationship, or any kind of issue or any kind of problem, you wouldn't sit down over a meal unless that thing had been resolved, or unless you were in the process of resolving it. So, for example, when Peter denied that he knew Jesus on the night of Jesus' um, arrest and betrayal, Peter, really his, his main disciple, the leader of the twelve, denied he knew Jesus three times. And as a result, really had come to the conclusion in his own heart that he'd blown it, and that was the end of it, And which is why he went fishing, which is going back to his old profession. He's basically saying, I tried to do the disciple thing, totally blew it, we'll go back to the old. He goes fishing, and then Jesus appears, after he's raised from the dead, appears on the edge of the lake. John recognises this Jesus, Peter swims to the lake to meet with Jesus, even though he feels like a complete failure. He gets there and Jesus has created a barbecue on the beach. He's basically making, he's making breakfast for them. They eat breakfast and then Jesus and Peter go for a walk and Jesus heals Peter's wound. He, he, says, he asks Peter three times, do you love me? Because he denied him three times. And at the end he says, feed my sheep. He's saying, I still want you to be a, a, a leader in the church. So, so Jesus cooking the breakfast there was very significant. He's saying, Peter, you, haven't, you have blown it, but it's not over. And I want to restore relationship with you. You see, So in that culture, to eat together was a really, really big deal. And so to find a load of people suddenly devoted to eating with one another is saying something a lot more than we would think in our culture. It's saying, wow, these people have really grown um, very, very close to one another. Their hearts have been knitted together as a result of being filled with the Holy Spirit. Their, their relationships are good. Issues that previously were a problem have been melted and broken down by the Spirit. Except that it's, This is massively, massively profound. Seeing as one of the biggest issues I would say I face as a pastor, and I would say probably challenges I face as a, as a Christian, is to do with relationships. You know, if someone says something, you think, oh, that hurt. And you think, oh, what do I do now? You know, and you've got options, haven't you? I can either react badly in the moment, or I can just withdraw the more English way. With a, with a I'm fine, no problem. But, with, but actually, yeah, actually retract. Or, or I can do it the godly way, which is actually resolve it one way or another. Which means I go away and I think through, am I just being precious and hypersensitive, in which case God deal with me? Or actually, did they wrong me there? In which case I need to speak to them in love and just say, hey, you know what, I'm sure you didn't mean it, but when you said that, it really cut me in the heart. And I, I don't want to, I really, you know, I just want to say that was unhelpful. Give them a chance to say, I'm really sorry. And then the thing's resolved and you can just be, keep growing together. Because what I've found in, in, in observing is, because this, this stuff's hard. Especially if someone's really hurt you. Especially if someone's hurt you repeatedly. It's really, it's really hard, you know, because it's not just forgiveness. It's about trust and all that stuff. And, 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 and what the passage is saying here is that when you are filled with the Spirit, God empowers you to work those things through so that 
you are able to go on building, building, building together and not be beaten by one another's sin. You see, this is why so many Christians find it easier not to be in a church. Or, if they are in a church, they find it easier to simply attend, get there just when it started, so they haven't got to talk to anyone, yeah, and leave in the last song. Yeah, why? Well, because it, it, you don't have to connect then, do you? Because connecting can be scary. Really being part of something, sharing life, eating food together, spending time with one another, <laughs> that can raise up a whole lot of stuff, you see. So this is very, very profound. What we're being told here is that the spirit being poured out did something in the hearts and minds of these people which made them be able to look beyond all the strange stuff that there is in one another and even work through the sin so that there might be really brilliant and amazing relationships. The Bible teaches this, that when Jesus Christ died on the cross, he, there was a two-way reconciliation going on. The kids are excited about this. The first way was between God and mankind. That where through sin the relationship was broken, through Christ's death on the tree, where as God and man, he mediates between God and man and takes in his body the debt and the judgment for our sin. The wrath of God is satisfied in punishing Christ for our sin and we find mercy and we find we can be reconciled to God. So there's the vertical reconciliation, God and mankind. Hallelujah. But you know what? That's half the story. The other half of the story is that sin which breaks and ruins our relationships, whether it's on racial lines, whether it's on um, just attitudinal kind of lines, things things we don't like, those kind of people or whatever, whether it's on appearance, whether it's on um, stuff you did to me or your family did to me, generational things, you name it, things that build walls and divisions through the cross and the shed blood of Jesus, we are told that God has made the two men into one. He has brought together Jew and Gentile. He has brought together slave and free. He's brought together male and female. He's brought together old and young. It's what the gospel does. This is part of the gospel. And we've got to preach it and proclaim it and declare it and say, you know what? Jesus has done such a mighty work. And and, and then out of his work and him ascending back into heaven and him pouring out his spirit to empower his people out of the victory of Jesus and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, we can be reconciled to God and reconciled to one another. Massive. It, it, it speaks into all kinds of things. Probably the biggest thing it speaks into is, this, is, is the F word. Forgiveness. <laughs> some of you are like, <gasps> what's he going to say? Forgiveness. Which in some circles is more offensive than the other F word, in my experience. <coughs> Spoke to someone today, just this morning. Preached in another church in London. Spoke to a, a man who was a believer. Um, and uh, became a believer decades ago. Decades ago. And then he did what he described as he backslid, which basically means that you go from walking with the Lord Jesus to just retracting and getting hard. He said, for decades, he's just recently come back to the Lord. He said, but I can't pray. He said, said, I can't, I can't pray. I said, you probably need to just get a bit of time with someone and just talk through. Maybe there's some kind of unresolved issues or something. He said, said, what it is, he said, when you spoke about forgiveness today, there is one person I just will not forgive. And his whole face turned to like, stone and uh, well there it is (laughs) there it is and this thing as a believer it's massive if you really get the gospel then you get you know what my sin put the Lord Jesus through that wow 
I, 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 I am so offensive. I have offended so much that I put him through that. That's, you know, if I was the only person on the planet that would still have had to happen, had to have happened. Why? Well, because of the love of God and because of the seriousness of my own sin. How can I hold back forgiveness from anyone else? Makes a mockery of the gospel, really, doesn't it? That you would receive forgiveness from the Son of God having to die for you and then hold back forgiveness from someone. It's, it's almost suggesting that the offence that person has uh, given to you is greater than the offence that you've given to God through your sin. And believe me, it isn't. It really isn't. See, this is, but the gospel speaks into this stuff and speaks right into the core of our heart. And the Holy Spirit is given to empower us to apply the gospel in our lives so that we can actually work this stuff out. I tell you, it's so much more exciting working this stuff out than it is just going to Christian meetings. I'll just say that. It's a lot harder. It takes a lot more effort. a lot more painful at times. But I want, to, I want to stand here and testify it is a lot more exciting and fulfilling to actually work this stuff out. Because if you just go through the motions after a while, it just gets boring. It just gets, you just get disillusioned. You think it doesn't work. It does work. Man, this gospel works. But it's got to work its way right into your heart. So, I don't know. That must have been a God thing because that really wasn't part of the notes here. So, um, some, you know, the Lord wants to just speak that word of forgiveness to some of you. It's a, really, it's a real big one. It's a real massive one. And, uh, yeah, we, you know, we can talk and pray at the end if that's, if that's relevant. Uh, for you. But the, the, the point I want to make is this, is that to eat together is a big deal. And to be devoted to spending time with one another over food and just sharing our lives, that, that is a living demonstration of the gospel at work and the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's not to be despised or looked down on in any way. And so just some tips around food and eating food and the gospel, just some tips for you. I'd say as part of your gospel communities, look to eat at times together. Look to eat, it's great to eat together in, our, in community in church and just build stuff around food, very important. Also say thanks for the food to the Lord. You know, we're a bit traditional in our home, we say grace, but I tell you it's great because it just means that every time you get it, it just reminds you, it didn't just, stuff didn't just appear. It's from God. Cream, eggs and everything. It's from him. You know, I know I'm stretching that a bit. You know, I'm not saying he created cream eggs. I get that. But what I'm saying is that every good and perfect thing comes from above. Every bit of nourishment, every bit of food, every, every lovely taste of thing that's grown. It's not random. It's, not, it's, it's from the Lord. So to stop and say thank you is so appropriate. It's so right that we, that we do that. I'd also say this. It's a slight tangent, but don't let anyone go hungry. I've made that kind of one of, sort of guiding principle of, of my life, really. You know, I, I tend not to give cash, but if anyone asks me, I say, look, are you hungry, you're thirsty, we'll sort something out for you straight away. Absolutely, no question. It's important. It's, and even more important if you find the time to be able to share some food with them. Really important. It's great. It's, it's just demonstrates something of the, of the love of God. And, and also I'd say, learn hospitality. I was brought up in a home where my mum my wasn't at all confident cooking. She wasn't at all confident. And as a result, didn't invite anyone around. And, um, and, and just was afraid, really. And I remember there's something happened when I was about, I don't know, about, I don't know maybe it was 18 or 19. She just got it. She turned into, like, the hospitality maniac. And it was like, man, she even took her to lodger. I mean, it's like, there's people everywhere. She just, it was, it was such a beautiful thing. It was like, wow. And I think she probably just realised that, you know what, when you invite someone around for dinner, they're not primarily coming because they think they're going to Claridge's. And, or they, do you know what I mean? Or they think, oh, oh yeah, because you, know, you, you cook like Gordon Ramsay. They're not thinking that. They're thinking, I'd love to spend some time with you. That would be amazing. 
So I want to just sort of say that. If you're kind of a bit, a bit constrained around hospitality because you're not very confident or your cooking's not up to much, do you know what? If that's why someone's coming round, it's, it's nonsense. It's nonsense. It's time together. Opening the home, it's a beautiful thing. And it, it just speaks... Of, that's church. That's church. When we gather together, build each other up, whether it's in a big setting like this or in a smaller set, and it's all part of expressing church. So it's a real big deal, and I just want to say that's a wonderful demonstration of being filled with the Spirit. But you see, Luke might have meant that they were breaking bread. They were doing, they were doing what we do in just a moment with the bread and with the wine. Um, and, and this, again, is massively important. It's a, it's a big deal. Every Sunday when we gather, we have the bread and the wine. Um, I tell you, it's a decision we made when we first started the church. I think it's one of the best decisions we made as a church. I came from a church where we'd do it once a month if people remembered so once a month, and then if the person who's bringing the bread forgot, once every two months. And then, because it was so irregular and infrequent, when we did it, it was really weird. It was like, we'd all be singing to the Lord, and it'd be like, okay, now we're going to break bread. And we'd go, <laughs> start tiptoeing over, whispering to each other, what is this? And we, you know, as leaders would meet, and we'd say, it's so weird when we break bread. We just, we go really strange. It's not even like a holy, reverent hush. It's just kind of, everyone's feeling really awkward. Um, so we thought, well, what should we do? So we got some people to kind of teach into it. How, you know, really great teaching. And then, okay, next time, what do we do? So, time to break bread. What is it? I realised what it is. It's just too darn, inf- too darn infrequent. We just hardly ever did it. So it was weird. One of the wonderful things about breaking bread, every time we meet like this, it just becomes normal. It's part of our worship and it's part of our, it's part of our honouring the Lord together. But what's it about and, and how does it work? I want to just show you from scripture, just teach into it a bit and then we're going to break bread. Um, we're going to break bread together. Um, the early church probably would have done it over a meal normally. They would have broken bread as part of their meal because originally when Jesus first broke the bread and drank the wine, it was during the Passover meal. It was, it was, he incorporated the bread and the wine into a meal that already had courses of bread and wine and he just really took the old celebration about being delivered from Egypt and made it a celebration about what he was going to do on the cross. Okay? So it was a very natural sitting there. We used, they were all around the table reclining in that culture. You wouldn't be sitting around the table up straight. You'd just be kind of, um, I won't demonstrate, but it's kind of sort of leaning like this, which is why it's... <laughs> which is why, I, you know what? I said about break. I preached at church this morning and talked about break dancing, and I was explaining the move, and it was like, "Oh, go on, go on." I'm thinking, "38 for goodness' sake! You really don't want to see that." And, and plus, plus, my church and family are expecting me home in one piece this afternoon, so it's not going to happen. But um, so I, I don't give in to peer pressure. So, um, but I will show you anyway. So, uh, what they would do, which is why it's like this in some of the paintings, some of the old religious paintings, is that you'd have a very low table about this high off the floor. And you'd just be like this. This is how you would have your meal. It's cool, isn't it? And so, and so when, it talks about, when it talks about John, you need to see this, when it talks about John uh, reclining at the table with his, with his head on Jesus' breast, what's happening is this. Jesus is like this eating the meal. John's head is there, and John's reclining that way. So he's just kind of chilling out with his head there. And they're having a meal together. It's beautiful, isn't it? I thought it was. Anyway, I thought it was great. So, so that was how, that's, that's how meals were uh, in, that, in that culture there. And um, what am I talking about? Uh, so, yes. So Jesus incorporated it into that setting. This is the bread and the wine. So, I mean, that is the furthest thing from... 
isn't it? I mean, it just... So we've got to get our heads around the fact that it's totally cool when we go and take the bread and the wine together. You don't have to go and do it by yourself. It's supposed to be a communal thing. And then you go to the... You go, and you're allowed to talk. You haven't got to whisper. It's not all whispering only in this corner. You can talk and just say, hey, the Lord's been doing some amazing things in my life at the moment. You could just share about what Christ has done and then pray for each other and bless each other. That's really great. And I want to just encourage you guys not to feel awkward when we do this and just to say it's part of it as, as we celebrate. It's part of what we do. And um, I'm going to just uh, uh, read you a passage about the bread and wine from the book of 1 Corinthians and just pull out a couple of lessons and then uh, help us to apply it. And then, then we're off, we're, we're away. And it's uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and it's uh, verse 23. Um, the Apostle Paul says, I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it, and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way also he took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death, Until he comes. So what's the purpose is this. In doing this, we proclaim that he has died for us. And that our hope of salvation is that the Son of God laid down his life for us. And in fact, our confidence that God loves us is that he has demonstrated it once and for all by giving his Son to die for us. So we're proclaiming that. Every time we take the bread and the wine, we are proclaiming it to one another until he comes. So it's not just looking back, it's also looking forward. So it's not just something, oh, that's nice, that happened, a nostalgic thing. No, because he rose from the dead, ascended to the Father and will return in person to usher in a new age and a new heavens and a new earth. We do do it, and it's a proclamation that we will do this until he comes again. When he comes again, we will no longer do it. We We will go into the marriage supper of the Lord Jesus Christ and celebrate, I guess, forever. So, uh, so, that, so that's the purpose. We are proclaiming to one another. This is our hope. And we're, we're saying, Jesus, I want to take part of you here. And I'm proclaiming that I totally believe that you're going to come again. And then, and, then, and then Paul goes on and he says, Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of profaning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That's why many of you are weak and ill and some have died. If we judged ourselves truly, then we wouldn't be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined so that we may not be condemned along with the world. So there's a power in it also. There's great power in, the bread, in taking the bread and the wine. It's not a magic charm. It's not a superstitious thing. Okay? It's not just if you take it, then there's this power that comes. Through faith in Christ, as we take the bread and wine, there is a power. There is a grace given from God in it. It's more than just symbolic. Otherwise, why would Paul say, you know what? You're taking this in an unworthy way. And as a result, some of you are weak, physically weak. Some of you are ill. Some of you have even died prematurely. So it's very, very reverent thing. Now, in what way were they doing it unworthily? Well, it may, he makes it clear. He says this, verse 33. So then, my brothers, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. If anyone's hungry, let him eat at home. So when you come together, it won't be for judgment. What was happening was this. The rich who worked shorter hours than the poor would turn up to the meeting early, would stuff all the food and drink all the wine. 
The poor who would arrive later would then have none. So that their bread and wine breaking the Lord's Supper was built around a meal. And it would all be gone. The rich people would all be there stuffed and drunk. And the poor guys in the church would turn up and there'd be nothing for them. Couldn't even have communion. Paul says, you're not discerning the body. What does it mean? He says, you're not discerning that you're part of something much broader than yourself when you're taking the bread and the wine. Now, this is massive for us, and here is why. Those of you that are not from the Western world, you will notice this about those of us that are. We are so individualistic. We tend to think individually. If your roots or if your actual experience is not in the Western world, is in either maybe Latin America or in the continent of Africa or, or in Asia, not, not, not so much Japan and Korea, but other parts of Asia, then you will know, you will know, you will, generally speaking, come from a much more of a communal culture where people think we instead of I. They, they, much more, it's much more natural in those cultures to think, think we in terms of family, heritage, and a sense of corporate responsibility, whereas in the West, particularly in some of the Far Eastern countries, there's a real individualistic mindset. It's me, it's I. And that's how we think about life. That's how we approach things. And part of us becoming a believers and getting our minds in it is we need to be wa- that needs to be washed away so that we begin to have an understanding that we are part of something much bigger than just ourselves. It's massive. When you see people that are Christians and it's all it's me and Jesus, me and Jesus, me and Jesus, it's like, that's not just you and Jesus, actually. It isn't. And actually, if you just think it's you and Jesus, then you doing your just you and Jesus stuff can actually cause harm to others in the body. Big time. Because as far as God is concerned, yes, he's called us by name and loves us as individuals. Absolutely, absolutely. But he's made us part of his body. And so we are members of the body of Christ who is the head. Or we are the bride. Not the brides. We are the bride of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's massively important that we... Rem- that I think, number one, that's why it's so good to take bread and wine together. It's brilliant and amazing and a beautiful thing to do. But also to just recognise that in doing so, we are part of a wider thing. And so if, there are, if you are out of relationship, there's hostility, there's walls between you and other believers in the church, work with that before you do the bread and wine. Because it has impact. Spiritually, it's massively important. Feel the reality. Of that, if there's someone, something that just needs making right relationally, go, go, go do it. Even if it leads to a season where things are a bit messy, we'll shepherd you through that and you'll be really, you'll be really glad you got through it and it'll be brilliant and we'll mature as a church. But this is the heart of God for us. And um, so we don't want to just kind of uh, end and, and, and wrap things up with, um, with just to say a, a little bit of um, application. When you have meals around your house, Try and throw in the odd Lord's Supper. I remember me and Dominic went around to Esther's place once and we're having a meal and it's all just chit-chat-chatty and nice. Suddenly out comes the bread and the wine. And you know Esther, she just did it so naturally. And it was like, how do you do that? It was amazing. It wasn't cringy. It was, it was just great. And we just had a quick pray and just built each other up and it just carried on. It takes a bit of leadership. Someone's got to actually say, let's do this. Yeah, everything always takes a bit of leadership, Yeah. But I tell you, it's a beautiful thing. Look to just build the Lord's Supper into your life together as you have meals together. It's a really, it's a really great thing. And on Sunday, as we take the bread and wine, it's not part of a meal. But let's, let's almost kind of try and make it so it's a bit like that. And don't feel the need to rush it. Don't, be, don't do it just as an empty ritual. But try to connect with one another in it. It's so good. Because you're connecting around the gospel, aren't you? 
the very vivid images of the bread in the hand, Jesus' body broken for us, and then the, his blood poured out for our forgiveness and the wine. It's just so, it brings the whole thing into such a beautiful, vivid clarity. It's like, oh man, because we find one another at the cross, don't we? The walls are broken down. You might have come from this background, me from that background, but in Christ we are one. We are one in Christ. And our connection in Christ by the Spirit is much deeper than any connection. Any, any connection ethnically, any connection or in terms of shared experience, man, we are the body of Christ. We're the people of God. If you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus, if you've, if you've experienced this new life in Him, if you've experienced being filled with the Holy Spirit, as a result of putting your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are part of the body of Christ. You are part of the body of Christ. And we can gather together and connect there. So expect that when you are filled with the Holy Spirit, the result is a greater devotion to other believers and a longing to be with them, spend time with them, eat with them and break bread with them. And then because you are gathering around the cross and the gospel and the Lord Jesus in the bread and wine, expect that you will be filled with the Spirit as you do that. Because the filling of the Spirit and the gospel are like that. You mustn't separate it out. Some people say, well, I believe in the gospel, all that kind of Holy Spirit stuff, but I'm not really into that. Or others are just like, I just want to be filled with the Spirit. And kind of, it's good to hear a bit more about the gospel from you. <laughs> Let's kind of make sure that we're focused on, on, on Christ because the Spirit comes to draw us to Christ. And it can just, you know, I, I would say, in, you know, potentially in some Christian circles, it can just all be about experience and just the miracle or kind of shaking or feeling fuzzy. And I think, look, the gospel, the victory of the Lord Jesus Christ, his life, death, resurrection and ascension, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the church to equip us to glorify Jesus and live for him until he returns. Amen? Amen. Amen. Okay, five minutes Q&A on anything I've just said about the Holy Spirit, the Lord's Supper, breaking bread, then we're going to do it. Hey. The word communion is actually used in the Bible. Dan. Dan is a walking Bible and actually knows it off by heart. Dan, Dan what do you reckon? I don't think it is in that sense. <laughs> well done, see. It's clever like that. You know, so we did that. Yeah. So I think the Bible talks about the communion of the fellowship of the Holy Spirit and the fellowship together. But personally, there's nothing that springs to my mind which talks about... But I think the reason why it's probably been used historically is in that sense, probably what I've just been reading about, about discerning the body, in that sense of we are in communion with one another, and the expression of that is as we take the bread and the wine together, the one body, it's probably how that, how that developed. But, yeah, Dave. So many churches do it differently. Yeah. Um, Individual cups, what a luxury, eh? <laughs> luxury! <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, so some, some groups would say the bread and the wine actually become... The body and the blood of the Lord Jesus. Actually, which is why the priest has to drink all the wine. That's why. Okay? Others say that it's just totally symbolic and it's just a symbol. I mean, there's nothing more to it. I think we're probably sitting in the middle somewhere saying, I think it's a big deal. But we recognise it isn't actually. It's not actually, actually, actually. Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. Okay? But it's more than just a symbol. There's something going on here. God gives grace and power to us. By the Spirit as we, as we do that. So in terms of stylistically, whether you pass long rows or have little cups, irrelevant. I just think whatever, let's do it the way that will facilitate um, naturalness and facilitate um, being in fellowship together as we do it. That's why we do it like that. But yeah, Foxy. Um, if it's 
Yeah. Yes, the passage actually doesn't specify that it was the people who were taking it unworthily that were necessarily the ones who were sick or died early. It doesn't specify that, which, le- which leads you to believe it could be either or. It could be that your own taking of the bread and wine unworthily leads to your own um, poor health or whatever, or it can act- I think it probably, actually, the more natural reading would be that it, aff- it affects someone else because the whole talk is about the body and that kind of thing. Yeah, so it's a big deal, guys. Ollie and Lizzie. Uh, on the back of that, then, yes. <laughs> yeah. Joe, where are you? I don't know where Joe is. Yeah, sorry. Um, <laughs> yeah, Joe's gone. Joe's run out of the room. Um, so, okay, what, what, what are we doing to make sure that Joe's not taking it unworthily because Ollie doesn't want to get sick? We're kind of preaching this kind of stuff. It's hopefully going to... But we're not going to interrogate everyone at the table. <laughs> Which, you know, I think probably some churches have probably gone down that road a bit, actually, have tried to say, look, listen, if you're not a believer, please don't take it, because it doesn't, doesn't do any, it doesn't have any impact. It's not a superstitious charm, okay? So, please, if you, if you do not know the Lord, but you're here just as a guest or whatever, please, please don't, don't take it. Put your trust in Christ, give your life to him, and then please do take the bread and the wine. So, we don't, it's not like I queue up, okay... Are you in good relationship? At the end of the day, you have to preach it and say, guys, this is a big deal. If you're, if you, if you're sitting and you're thinking, I'm not sure, you know, then you need to just, get, just chat with someone, get a bit of counsel, a bit of wisdom, so that you, you know, because some people have got a really tender conscience. And literally, whatever, if ever, whatever subject I was speaking on, if I, was saying, if I said you're doing it unworthily, some of you in this room would say, yeah, it's me. Because you've just got a really tender conscience and you just feel guilty really easily. Some people are like that. Yeah? So, if it's you... You're probably all right. If that's you, you probably just feel guilty about everything. Okay, you just need a bit of help with your your conscience getting a little bit a bit more robust. But if you know the Holy Spirit's convicting you, you think, Oof, and you think, man, alive, this a, this is a big deal. There's an issue of unforgiveness in me or whatever. And I would say, just don't take the bread and wine today, and then please just find someone. If you don't know the way through, find someone in church, one of the leaders or whatever, to just help you begin working it through so we can get through on it. Um, and get you to a great place. But one, once you're, you know, once you're just, you're saying, hey, I want to, or even if you say, actually, I don't know the way through, but I want to sort it out, that's good enough for God. He sees the heart. Okay, so do take the bread and wine. But, but if, you're, if there's something in you that's saying, no, I'm not forgiven and I'm not going to, you're not going to, or I don't care about everyone in the church, or if there's something like that's in your heart, so it's not, but I'm being a bit extreme, then obviously you just need to hold back. Is that okay? So, Eugenia, do we need to say the sinner's prayer every time uh, before we take the bread and the wine? But just to say on that, this, what does Eugenia mean by the sinner's prayer? Um, it's not like a, a biblical thing. It's something that we've just kind of developed, or the church has over the I guess, last few decades, which is a prayer that sometimes people pray in giving their life to Christ, just confessing that I've sinned and please forgive me, etc., etc. What I would say is this. Jesus taught us how to pray the Lord's Prayer. Part of the Lord's Prayer is, forgive me my sins as I forgive those who have sinned against me. Part of that prayer also is, give us today our daily bread, which means Jesus assumed that we'd be praying daily, and we would be covering confessing our sins daily anyway. So I think it's a healthy and a whole thing. I would say most days I do pray to the Lord, God, cleanse my spirit. Cleanse me and wash me. Any, you know, wash me of judgment, if I'm being judgmental. Wash me, Lord, of just anything dark. I'm, that, I'm, I'm doing that a lot. And I just you know, know the wonder of Jesus honouring that and, and, and helping me do that. So I just think it's always positive. But don't become sin-focused. It should be Jesus-focused. If you start digging around, you'll always find something imperfect, but it's when the Holy Spirit reveals something, respond to it. Okay? We all stumble in many ways, we're all flawed, so it's not a perfectionist thing. It's just like, but just look to Jesus and be responsive to the Holy Spirit's promptings. One more question. Naomi. Um, I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to answer this, but I'm going to try. Um, 
So what about unbelie- people who, who don't believe or not sure quite whether they believe in Jesus or not or, or, and children? What I would just say is this. I mean, if you, if you took the bread and the wine, I would just sort of think, well, wh- why are you? If it's that you want to follow Christ, then let's, let's pray together so you can give your life to Christ and take the bread and the wine. If it's that you think it will protect you in some way, almost like have, wearing a cross or something, it won't. It won't, so there's no need to. So I would just want to just reason it out, really, and just say there's no, there's no point doing that. It can just become a superstitious thing, which we don't believe in. As for children, so I, what I'm going to do with our kids is what we're going to do is say, once they're baptised, they'll take the bread and the wine. Once they've decided they want to follow Christ um, and, and are initiated into the faith, which is through baptism, that is how you are initiated into faith. You give your life to Christ, he gives you a brand new heart, you're born anew, and then that is vividly portrayed through your baptism. From that point on, yeah, just take bread and wine. Definitely. That's how we're approaching it with our children. So it's clear in their minds. They're clear. If our kids aren't ready to be baptised, then I'm not ready to lead them in a prayer. I'm not ready to lead them through and say they're Christians. No way. When they're ready to be baptised, then obviously they're ready to follow Christ. So that's, that's how we're working it with them. It's a whole different sermon now. I can see many furrowbrows now. So um, we're gonna, I'm going to preach on baptism in about three or four weeks' time. So we'll have a, have a, have a good time then, I'm sure. Um, okay. All right. Um, just, trying to, just trying to be as helpful as possible and just work things through. And the Q&A can make it seem a bit unspiritual. But I think, it, you know what? I don't, I don't think it is. I think it's really great learn to work things through well and really make sure our minds are getting renewed in the truth and washed in the truth. So let's pray. Band, if you could come up, yeah, that'd be great. We'd be great to have you up back. Lord, we love you. We just say thank you so much for dying for us so we can be forgiven and have a clean conscience, be reconciled to the Father and be reconciled to one another. Thank you for pouring out the Holy Spirit on us, Jesus, and baptising us in the Spirit so we can be empowered to live the Christian life. And as we take the bread and the wine now, we pr- I pray that your presence would so flood this room so fill our hearts, so transform us freshly, Lord God, so empower us for service, all the things, Lord God, that you want to do in our hearts. I pray, Lord God, as we gather together to celebrate your, your death and your resurrection until you return, I pray make yourself known here in a glorious way. Amen.